Coming up on Tech News Today, AT&T's picking fights with everybody. They're picking fights with data caps. They're picking fights with tetherers. But don't pick fights with them or you'll get your connection turned off. Also, Nintendo picks on people in garages. And thank goodness, Dot Triple X has been approved. It's Friday. Friday. Coming up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Friday, March 18th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by GoToMeeting. Visiting important contacts from New York to L.A. and Bangalore to London is time-consuming and expensive. Have meetings online instead with GoToMeeting. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash technews. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Darren Kitchen. You could say your name, Alex, if you want. I am Alex Kumpel. He is, uh, I, I didn't tell him he was going to do that. He's yeah, filling in for uh, Jason Howell's home with a uh, sick child. Poor Lucy. Well, I think it's actually Jason that's sick, but Lucy I was thought, the culprit. Oh, Lucy got Jason sick. Yes. Kids oh. do that to parents. Well, then buck up, Jason. Yeah. Remember yesterday he had a scratchy tickle? Today it turned into something more No, sinister. actually, he was like, I don't want to infect you people, so I'm staying home. Speaking Appreciate of getting it. infected. Yes, uh, RSA got infected. Uh, the security company owned by EMC makes the secure ID. Now, I, I actually did some research to try to figure out if the Blizzard uh, dongle is made by them, and I couldn't tell. It's, it's shrouded oh, in secrecy. The Blizzard sell one. The PayPal one is. Uh, these are the little dongles that give you a number, and so when you log in, you have a second factor of authentication, not just your password, something you know, uh, but the dongle, something you have, uh, so you've, you've got a number on there. RSA uh, today said, we have been hacked. In a blog post by Art Coviello, he's the former RSA CEO uh, who saw the company through its acquisition by EMC, still works there, uh, acknowledged an extremely sophisticated cyber attack working with customers uh, and recommended end users to harden their passwords now. He called it uh, an advanced persistent threat. So in right. other words, this was not script kitties. This was this was a sophisticated attack. But they don't say what got hacked. Well, I think that, you know, considering who they are and what they do, they have the obligation anytime that there's any sort of breach to go ahead and notify, you know, their customers because they're relying on them for this, you know, kind of security. So whether or not the actual algorithm for what generates those random numbers has been hacked uh, is unknown. They're being a little vague about uh, about that. But you know, regardless, I mean, even if it's just customer data or whatever, they kind of have an obligation to, to let people know. Although it's still just the, the suggestions, the recommendations that they're giving to their customers, like, you know, don't open attachments and watch out for spear right, phishing. It it's, kind of like, it's kind of like the, the obvious stuff that don't you always do. How many people are, are potentially affected by this? Uh, that that's a good question. I don't know what the entire uh, subscriber base of RSA security is, but it's in the it's definitely in the tens of thousands. Right. There's uh, as of 2009, RSA estimated that about 40 million people used their little tokens. Wow. And another 250 so million. Another 250 million used the RSA software on like their smartphones. Goodness. The yeah. warnings uh, regarding social networks and email to me imply that they're worried about phishing attacks, spear phishing, uh, and so probably it's customer database. 
that, that got sounds infected. Likely. They found out who the customers are, and they're going to try to use that to trick people into handing over some information, maybe from that dongle, uh, maybe from that second factor authentication. But they, they have said that there is nothing about the algorithm that has been disrupted. So that would make sense about why they're being forthcoming and saying, hey, you need to be aware. If somebody's out there saying something to you about your secure ID uh, mm -hmm. device... Don't answer it. Don't tell them anything. Be extra vigilant about that stuff because I don't think they're worried about an actual crack or hack. They're worried about some more social engineering type of thing. But, I mean, is something like that kind of social engineering considered an advanced persistent threat? No, the advanced persistent threat is what was used to get I see. into their database mm -hmm. and pull the data, whatever, whatever they got out. We don't know, but Got it. Uh, anyway, it does not enable a successful direct attack on any RSA Secure ID customers. They're just saying, harden your passwords, like you said, use all right, the best but security it, practices. It, of course, does you know make people's confidence in such a system, you know, vary, and right. that's not good because really, a two-factor authentication, you know, anytime it's more than just something that you know. Uh, it's a good idea, and people should embrace. Right. So hopefully EMC can take care of that. What apparently is no longer a good idea is un, uh, un or jailbreaking your AT&T phone and then using an unauthorized tethering method. Whether it's Android or iOS, it doesn't matter. AT&T is apparently sending text messages to customers telling them, you'll need to pay up. Uh, the, uh, the text message that comes to you essentially says, our records show that you use this capability but are not subscribed to our tethering plan. If we don't hear from you, we plan to automatically enroll you into Data Pro 4 Gigabyte after March 27, 2011. The new plan, whether you sign up on your own or we automatically enroll you, will replace your current smartphone data plan, including if you are on an unlimited data plan. I'm sorry, what? They're going to automatically start charging you because they suspect you of using your phone with with a computer like i mean aside from the bits or bits argument how is that even legal oh we gave you fair warning we gave you a text message what if you didn't see that what if you thought it was spam what if you thought it was spear phishing attack well, the only did way follow up with the email although that would be easy to miss as well the only way this fails legality is if you weren't tethering in an unauthorized ma manner well and that's one of the big questions is how are they trying to figure out who is tethering illegally? I mean, some people speculate that it's just looking at data usage and making a guess based on well, what your data you know, usage is like. There's also like the browser agent. Is it a browser ID string? You know, is it, um, you know, um, taking a closer look at um, time to live units on packets? And, and here's the thing. If you really didn't want them to know, and, and you can do this both on a computer and a phone, you do some sort of VPN tunneling. And then that way, they can't actually see what the traffic is. They can't do deep packet inspection and understand if you're pulling up a yeah, web page. Yeah, but if they're looking, at, if they're looking at data things or time to live, like, like Sarah's time saying, that, that doesn't right. matter. Well, no, it, it, it does. I mean, you, you could, you could face your time to live if you really wanted to. Okay, I guess so. I mean, so, you could yeah. put things in place that would make it emulate a phone. In fact, you know, this has been going on for forever. We've been, you know, whether, it, like, I did this on, what was it called? Two and a half, G, 2G, whatever it was. I could get 1,900 baud, basically, on uh, using a serial connection on, like, a Sprint phone way back in the day on this thing called Vision Service or whatever. And 
uh, on the forums and everything, everybody was like, oh, just don't use too much data. You know, if you'd call them and say, hey, can I get this service? They didn't, they didn't know how to offer it as a service. They didn't know how to charge for it. They just kind of frowned upon the cables. And now that it's, you know, ridiculously easy. I mean, we, we went through so many iterations of like, you know, you think about Verizon, like disabling Bluetooth and disabling Wi-Fi and phones back before they kind of embraced a little bit more, uh, I don't know, friendly behavior. Uh, telcos have never liked this because... Well, they're telcos. They would charge you. Comcast would charge you for every IP address you have on your home network if they could. Yeah, and well, and in fact, in UK, they're trying to figure out how to do that. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, but but setting aside for the moment whether they should be trying to charge you for tethering or not, uh, which is which is one part of the argument. Uh, if you are tethering in an unauthorized way, yeah, you have the right to jailbreak, but you don't have the right to tether because of your terms of service with AT&T. It actually right. would break the terms of service because it's legal to jailbreak, but it's still illegal to tether no matter how you did. Not illegal, but it breaks the terms of service. So they can look at that and say, look, you tethered in an unauthorized way. Therefore, you've broken the terms of service. Therefore, we have the right to change your plan and take you off the unlimited plan. However, they're going to run into, I, I can't believe that their method of detection is so accurate that they aren't going to change the plan of somebody who's like, I never tethered. No, and, you know, and here's the thing. To me, this really sounds like a FUD campaign. They're just trying to spread the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So people are like, that just the casual tethers, this is, that's who it's only going to affect. You know, anybody that's serious about not paying the extra 20 bucks a month is going to find a way around this, but uh, are going to, you know, maybe pay up or, or and that's they'll sign up some new tethering plans yeah so that's or, what they're going to get out of exactly this. or you could call them and play or, or scare some people into stopping right. the unauthorized and tethering. it's kind of a sad it's it kind of said something sad about at&t when they're at the spot where they need to generate new revenue and they have to go and bleed their customers instead of trying to acquire new ones well and imagine the customer service calls because if they really are just making educated guesses about who's tethering in an un unauthorized way and they're wrong on 20% of these people, you or get all these, of the or people. even one, yeah, yeah, I mean, however, however many people this is, is affecting that are like, I don't even know what tethering is. Imagine these phone calls from folks who say, I just got this weird, very bizarre text message, I don't know what it is, or they just ignore it, and then all of a sudden they're paying too much, two months later they notice, and then, right. you know, the customer agent is like, I don't know what you're talking about. AT&T must have good confidence that their method of detection here yeah. is solid, whether it, maybe it's a web browser string, uh, where they're like, that is coming from a jailbroken device, and that looks like a tethering session, Yeah. Uh, because otherwise they wouldn't risk this, and... I, I, yeah, I find the their method, you know, they, they send a text message and a follow-up email and say, basically, stop tethering or we'll automatically change you. Well, I, I, as a user, even if I was automatically tethering, would be like, okay, I'm going to stop. But how do I know stopping is going to make sure they don't... What if they accidentally automatically switch me to a plan and right. then I call and they say, well, you, we are evidence shows you didn't. Am I going to drag them to court? Do I have the resources for that? No, I mean, it, it's a... It's, way over the line as far as a well, strong arm tactic. The way I see it, AT&T is offering a two gigabyte plan for $25 a month and they want to, you know, they really don't want people using all that 25 megs. So they're going after tethers because those are the people who would potentially be using more data, right? Be actually using the two gigabytes that they're paying for. Now I'm wondering, would they go about, uh, would they go about this the same way if it were just, you know, iPhone users, Android users that were actually using that much data on their phones? Yes, they want to make money. 
They want to make money off of every single bit. And, 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 and that brings us back to the first point that we, we set aside for a minute, which is, why do I have to pay more for tethering? Yeah. And by the way, if you don't know what tethering is, it's the ability to take the data connection on your phone and tether it to your laptop or other device so that you're using that internet connection on that device. It, what, what Darren just said is, is, is perfectly right. If I'm paying for two gigabytes and I'll pay an overage charge, what does it matter how I'm using it? Yeah, and here's, yeah, that, that's really kind of the same as if I'm going through the Pennsylvania Turnpike and I pay the $5 for a two-axle vehicle as I go through and it's just me in the car, how is it any different than if I go in a two-axle vehicle with three other friends in the car and pay my five bucks? Well, I mean, there isn't any difference, but again, we're talking about AT&T. Right, and, and we're talking about... They've already they already have terms of service clear as day that say you can't do this, and people have said, yes, okay, I'm still going to sign up with a plan from you, and it's understood that they've read the terms of service. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... It doesn't make a lot of sense to me either, but I mean, it's it's already there. You're right, because because you know what we all did we we all hit next next I agree finish exactly. Well, everybody does on but, every term. But that's I mean, but that's our fault. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I see that. We get, and that's you're a right. whole other conversation. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're they're totally allowed to do this. It is their TOS. But as a customer, I would be voting with my wallet and trying to go to a telco that didn't. And unfortunately. That's how telcos are. I don't know if there's one that wouldn't be, you know? Yeah, when, you, when you've AT only got four major telcos to, to choose from, the, the, the choices are getting so narrow. Uh, Sprint has an everything plan. That's about the best I can think of. Yeah, that's where I am. And only, only AT&T and Verizon have the iPhone. So if you really want an iPhone, you're stuck there. All right, uh, New York Times announced their paywall yesterday, and everyone's been uh, frantically analyzing whether this is going to work or not. Uh, there is an article in paid content today suggesting that New York Times might not only make the paywall work, but make more money off advertising, even though they would limit their audience with a paywall. Uh, the argument runs advertisers want more engaged users, users who are really paying attention and into the, to the content that they're using. Uh, and if heavy users subscribe, that may prove engagement and therefore raise ad revenues. It raises their CPM, the amount they charge per advertisement. Uh, paid content also did some math to find out how much money they'd actually make off this. Uh, essentially, this, this, this is pretty telling here. New York Times in February got 31 million unique visitors to their website. And about 15% of those were considered heavy users, the kind that might be likely to use the site enough to go over that 20 links a month and, and run into the paywall. So that's 4.65 million heavy users of the site. They only have 1 million print subscribers. Hmm. Now, explain to me how 1 million print subscribers makes them more money than 31 million unique visitors. Because they're talking about Okay, so if 10% of the heavy users show up and we get like 500,000 of the heavy users to actually pay the fee, you're going to make $100 million off that paywall. The New York Times Media Group took in $683 million in circulation revenue in 2010. That's the amount they took in off their print subscriptions. Probably com a combination of New York Times and International Herald Tribune, mm -hmm. which is their worldwide version. Uh, but $683 million off of the 1 million print subscribers. But I get 31 million uniques coming to my, uh, to my site in February, and I can't make money off that? There's something wrong with the ad model of the way the web works right now. 
That's that's a deep discussion. The, the yeah. problem with all of the ad models online, and it's well, I mean, part of it's just because of the metrics. You know, you don't get those kind of metrics in a print. You say, oh, here are here's our best guess about our subscribers. We think they saw your ad when they were flipping through our paper page. But online, we've got you know exactly where your mouse movements were. You know, we've got uh, exactly your IP, you know the IP address and all of those. So what you're saying is, and stuff. So when I can't tell if you looked at an ad, that's more valuable. For than some when I'm reason, sure it seems that I looked at it. But yes, that's the way it is right now. Uh, weird. Well, I mean, it 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 does seem counterintuitive, but at the same time, that is what's wrong with the ad model because if you can't prove that I didn't look at the ad, then maybe I did. Yeah. A, a few people are saying, well, sure, 31 million unique visitors, but maybe some a lot of those only see one page. Even if we just go down to the heavy users, the one yeah. that that see a lot of pages, that's 4.65 million. That's 4.65 times as many people as subscribe to the Daily New York Times. So you don't think it's going to hurt? Well, it's probably not going to. I don't think it is going to hurt if paid content is right and they get 500,000 people to pay, which they might, and, and, uh, and make $100 million. That will, that, and the advertisers are like, I, I like that engaged audience. I'm going to keep, keep subscribing. That's where it is. And th it may get them through. It, I, I do believe that. 10, 15 years, this, this whole situation is going to seem ridiculous because people are like, if I have 31 million unique visitors, I can make a bank load of money off that. Yeah. You know, they're also still um, in the uh, All Things D article where uh, Peter Kafka uh, interviewed, um, oh, what's it, the, the New York Times digital czar Martin Niesenholtz. Um, and it, it's a very, very um, enlightening interview. Um, he's very upfront about how the New York Times decided to f figure out the pay model that they're going forward with. Um, and, you know, especially since they say, uh, why should iPad users pay more money for the same content? And it's like, because iPad users, we have done a lot of research. We've been looking at this for a year or the better part of a year. And iPad users spend more time and, and are more engaged with our content. So they should be paying more because we're getting more out of them. I, I got to say, that's probably the first time I've ever heard of some sort of pay per engagement type of play. I mean, I understand that like even in our industry, like podcasting, you know, you can claim like, oh, niche, you know, niche market, you know, direct talking directly to. We have a valuable people. audience, even if it's small. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But uh, but this is the first high profile place where I've really seen that kind of thing being used as far yeah. as engagement is concerned. Well, and it's also uh, it's it's. It makes sense to me. I mean, that's how I prefer to read the New York Times. But it's like, okay, well, I could, I could, I could compare the a smartphone to the iPad and say, well, yeah, the iPad just has more screen real estate, and they've got a pretty nice app, the New York Times' app. But I have more screen real estate on my laptop. But as an iPad user, I would still, you know, it's like it's interesting how they're deciding who is what kind of person would have an iPad and then that, so that kind of person is the one that should be paying more because they're the kind of person who would be reading the New York Times anyway. And could afford it. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it, do, so it does start to make a little this. more sense to me in an area where people are used to paying for stuff and mm -hmm. they feel like they're getting a better value because it's on a tablet, it's on a screen. Uh, and and I, I will give New York Times big credit. Uh, they're allowing lots of links to come through. If you haven't paid, they're trying, they're trying to keep the negative effects of putting a paywall from affecting them. They're trying to say, look, we still want people passing around links. We still want people to be able to say, hey, Darren, check out the story on New York Times and read it. Uh, you know, they're playing with that, that way of doing things and only trying to charge the people who really want to use the paper a lot. And if you're going to do a paywall, I think that's the right way to do it. Uh, I just, 
I just can't. It just astounds me when I look at these numbers to think we've gotten to a situation where we're like, you know what? A large audience is very unvaluable. I need to figure out how to narrow my audience down and make it smaller so that I can make money. Mm-hmm. That just seems counterintuitive. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just missing it. I don't know. I'll tell you what I'm not missing. Boring what? conference calls. Time, uh, time to thank our sponsor, GoToMeeting. <laughs> When's the last time you were on a conference call that was fun? Oh, I'm about to have one with Amber MacArthur when we finish the show, and I think that's, that'll that's be fun. That's just a call. But that, Is that a conference call? Sort of. We're going to talk about work. It's just you and Amber. So Right? Yeah. That sounds that's fun. You're going to tell me I'm not about to have a conference call? That's what it is, Tom. It's no, it's fun, but no, I think normally, it, you need normally three, they're not. Yeah, four. It's got three more. Speakerphone. Somebody can't hear somebody else. You guys want to be on the conversation? Is that you're trying to make it into a conference call? How do you know call? we're not? Yeah. Oh. Well, let, let me ask you this. Have you been on a lot of boring conference calls? So many. That were unproductive? Totally. Yes. Did, were they using GoToMeeting? No. No, exactly. I was uh, sitting in a conference room wanting there's to people on the call, go off track. They can't see what each other is talking about. They lose interest. They Like, I can't. I don't know what he's... He keeps saying, look at this They're graph. I can't see the graph. Uh, that's where GoToMeeting helps. GoToMeeting keeps everyone on the same page during conference calls. Everyone on the call can see your screen. They can follow along. Everyone on the call is focused. They're interested. They're more engaged. Uh, and that means you'll save time and be more productive. GoToMeeting is great. It's as if you are both, you, every conference call you're on is like a conference call with Sarah Lane and Amber MacArthur. It's that fun. <laughs> it's true. So try it out. GoToMeeting is great for sales presentations, product demos, training sessions, collaborating on documents, weekly update calls, and just about any other type of conference call you can think of. Uh, you, are, you are wasting your time if you haven't tried GoToMeeting. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial to see what mean. And have all the meetings you want for one low flat rate after the trial is over. Phone and voice over IP conferencing is included for free. So even the call is free once you've uh, signed up for GoToMeeting. Visit them right now. GoToMeeting.com slash tech news. And that says, hey, I heard about it on Tech News Today. I support Tech News Today. And I want to try this out and see if it's for me. And we thank them for their support. Let's uh, go on to the Apple component crisis. A lot of headlines out there saying that the iPad 2 is going to run out of parts. Uh, Forget, you know, being in in huge demand and and people having a hard time getting one because the lines are huge. Uh, All Things D has a a good article today that lays out what parts in the iPad come from Japan and specifically Mm -hmm. come from places in Japan that might be affected by the earthquake. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like they could ship the iPod without these parts. No, these these are parts that can only be sourced from Japan. The glass display, the battery, and the compass. Now, the glass display overlay uh, is not... Uh, Corning wears Gorilla Glass this time. iSupply, IHS iSupply, believes it is the Dragon Trail Glass, which is manufactured by Asahi Glass of Japan. Uh, Asahi has been indi- has indicated that although the earthquake has resulted in production stoppages at its Kashima, Keihin, and Chiba plants, there's been no major damage to any of the firm's own factories. So they don't think they'll have a problem producing the displays. But there have been stoppages at the factories, and so that could that could affect the inventory. Uh, the batteries are likely made by Apple Japan, which we we discussed yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problems with the batteries, because a lot of the battery manufacturers are in the north of the country, and the compass is made by AKM Semiconductor, which escaped the quake unscathed. Uh, but even with AKM Semiconductor, Dragon Trail Glass, and Apple Japan, they're all going to have problems with logistics, things like transportation, not just shipping of the parts, 
and getting them to boats and getting them out of the country, but getting their employees to the factories to right. do the work, as well as the power outages that have been going on. There's a lot of brownouts in various areas of Japan. So everybody, all the analysts that I've read say, there is a low chance that there will be a supply disruption because of this. It looks like everything cool. there's enough there's enough inventory to smooth it over. Uh, but you know things things are on. But a it knife seems it seems unlikely that it wouldn't be affected at least a little bit because no one's working that far ahead, right? I mean, it's not as if they've got iPad twos coming out of their ears because clearly, if they did, then we wouldn't be running out of them. They're not that far ahead of. Of these components, well, they, but they I, the parts inventories are yeah. there. I mean, I, I think that's that's the issue because they, they're fabricated in China. So if the parts are already in China, they've got enough parts to make them in China. Then that should keep them going for long enough for more parts to arrive. Because they say they've got usually everything I read is about two to three months worth of inventory. Mm. And am I reading this right in that it's not going to really impact you know Apple's bottom line or anything in that they've already purchased all of these up front? Well, yeah, that's a, that's another interesting story. Uh, prices are spiking on parts now. It's especially NAND flash memory, which we've talked about earlier on the show. Uh, prices for NAND flash memory climbed as high as 10% yesterday. Prices for DRAM, system memory, uh, used in PCs, jumped as high as 7%. And InSpectrum believes that the, the price of NAND is going to stay high uh, because vendors are expected to reserve their production priority for OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, and people who have locked up the supplies and contracts and prices. And that's what you're talking about, right, Darren. Right, because they don't want to turn away, you know, the next Apple or HP or somebody that goes around and says, hey, we need, you know, 200 million units or whatever it is. They can't turn them away. There's a contract there. Exactly. Apple spent yeah, $3.9 billion dollars earlier this year to guarantee... Not only supplies, but prices. Right. So it, the only people really losing here are the manufacturers that now have to deliver on that because they've right. already signed the contract. So they're delivered. Now, it's not just Apple either. It's HP. It's Nokia. It's other large CE firms. Uh, they all have have contracts that have to be fulfilled. So then when it goes into the channel and it ends up on the shelf for people like you and me who are just like, oh, I just want to buy some RAM. I want to buy a, a flash drive. Those prices are going up because they have to make it up somewhere. Right. Uh, the LCD supply chain has also been hit. Digitimes reports manufacturing should be okay. But again, it's logistics and power outages. Getting this stuff out of the manufacturer to the docks and getting it shipped where it needs to go, that could affect supply. Uh, and with LCD, uh, China sells a huge amount of electronics in its Labor Day holidays, which happened at the end of April uh, leading up to May 1st. And prices for LCD TVs may not be low enough for those expected large sales. So, uh, you know, we were we were seeing you're, you're plummeting seeing, like, prices of well, LCD yeah. TV sales. They've absolutely been plummeting. If they rise back up, uh, part of me wonders, will they eventually go back down to where they were before or at the rate that they were plummeting before, uh, probably just for, comp you know, reasons of competition? Uh, could this be, you know, a natural form of market correction? And, and would, you know... Well, they probably a natural disaster form of market exactly. correction. They yeah. probably will go down again. I mean, once everybody gets back up to speed, if there's still the same amount of competition. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's interesting. A couple of rumors around the iPhone out today. Uh, first, uh, that an NFC-equipped iPhone will be coming. We've heard rumors that it will. We've been heard, heard rumors that it won't. A source for Forbes suggests that NFC reader manufacturers are gearing up for near-field communication-equipped iPhones. That near-field communication allows you to do things like make payments with your iPhone. It's like a little RFE ID type situation where it's low-power transmission. Uh, the Forbes source also claimed a friend from Apple told him it was a done deal. A friend from Apple said it was a done deal. You I know, mean, I got a friend. Yeah, me too. At Apple. He works at Apple. Yeah. I mean, 
they. I'm not going to say if it's a he or a she. Right. Could be both. I don't, never asked. In one person. Don't know them well enough. Don't know either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, Obviously I'd, not I'd, I'd like to use my iPhone instead of having to carry around my little public transportation muni pass in San Francisco. Kind the other evidence is Apple has applied for a number of NFC-related patents. Uh, they have an NFC expert on staff, not a national football conference expert, but a near-field communication expert. Uh, uh, product manager for mobile commerce, which is one of the main uses of NFC. And most recently, they were looking to hire a test engineer for NFC, as well as global payment platform managers. So all this points to Apple definitely getting into near-field communication and setting up some sort of payment system through iTunes, which makes sense. The question is, will it happen with iPhone 5, or will it happen a, more than a year from now? Because it just depends on the rate in which the technology matures. iPhone 5 also, uh, we got pictures of it from Foxconn, or at least 9to5Mac says they have pictures of it from Foxconn. Uh, they say they believe it to be reliable. They've provided some information. Most of the information lines up with past reports. It's got a bigger screen. Uh, it's It's got a black back. It looks generally like iPhone 4. So, you know. Oh, I thought you said metal back. Oh, it's got a, yeah, adopt a curved metal back. Sorry. We're bringing back the silver back. Yeah. Like that. You know what? Even if these are real, these are all just prototypes. We don't yeah. know which one actually is going to be the real iPhone 5. But this here's the if for the video users, here's the picture. It's it's got a metal back, slightly curved. Mostly it looks just like the iPhone 4. It looks a lot like the iPhone 4 and it's also especially since we're still in prototype mode. I'm still coming off this whole iPad 2 frenzy. It's like I'm not ready to start speculating on prototypes. <laughs> Give me some room. Yeah. We've got a little more about the last prototype later in the show. Yes. Nintendo of America president Reggie fils uh, told gaming publication Gama Sutra, quote, I would separate out the true independent developer versus the hobbyist. We are absolutely reaching out to independent developers. Where we've drawn the line is we are not looking to do business today with the garage developer. In our view, that's not a business we want to pursue. What constitutes a garage developer? Well, you know, have you ever Someone played that game? Someone who doesn't uh, take a shower and put their tie on in the morning. Have you ever played that game World of Goo by yes, 2D Boy? I love World of Goo. It's or one of my favorite iPad apps. Angry Birds. I like that as well. Yeah, they're, they're, those much, would be garage developers. Oh, okay. Big success garage developers. Don't get me wrong. So people, a bunch not of anymore. Yeah, they're not of, garage developers anymore, but they started right, those right. games as garage so developers. So people, you know, with marginal talent and no real direction, those kinds of companies. Yeah, people like Steve being, Jobs I'm, and Steve Wozniak. I'm being sarcastic, yeah. of Didn't course. HP come from a garage? They keep touting. Possibly, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. What is wrong with Nintendo lately? They're so anti, you know, the little Change. guys. Yeah. Well, because they used to have, you know, they yeah. used to have I mean, I, a, a monopoly. Well, not monopoly, but, but they used to be, you know, you'd think portable gaming. It was Nintendo. It was the only game in town. I mean, now I, it's I understand that privately they, they could be lamenting the way that the market has turned as far as gaming goes. But to say things like this just makes you sound like a jerk. Uh, the CNET points out in an interview with Industry Gamers in December, EA CEO John Ricciatilio, uh took aim at Nintendo saying the company does less to promote third-party content than first-party titles and pointed out that all the big sellers on Wii are Super Mario, they're Zelda, they are title. Nintendo just wants to keep all the money themselves. No wonder they don't want to help out garage developers. They're like, we don't even want to help out independent developers, but we won't admit that because we kind of need them to fill out our lineup. <laughs> kind of need them. Yeah. Then again, Nintendo, of course, being the first to implement the whole, like, 
uh, oh, you can't develop for a platform until we approve your game and make sure it's not crap and yeah. not E.T. Right. I mean, yes. there are a lot of crappy games out there. I, I'm Granted. Sure, I'm sure Nintendo's yeah, like, some the of the stuff they're like, ugh, gosh, why do they, these people make all this money? This is just horrible. And let's be honest. I bet Reggie fils is not nearly as like dead set against garage developers as he sounded in this right. quote. He, I'm sure he's regretting phrasing it that way. I'm right sure. Now. Yeah, I'm sure he's just feeling disdain for bad games. There are probably people that have developed many of garages that he would allow on the platform. Right. Especially games that involve garages. Yeah. Like right. racing games. Ooh, I like that idea. Yeah. On to the news fuse. Now it can be told who took down the Rustock botnet. Looks like Microsoft teamed up with the Federales to storm facilities in seven cities in order to take down Rustock. Microsoft launched the raids as part of a civil lawsuit filed in federal court in Seattle in early February against unnamed operators of the botnet. The raid was the outcome of a lawsuit filed in February, and they, they stormed the doors with U.S. Marshals. Wow. I bet they wore cowboy hats, too. <laughs> maybe. It's or not, maybe a hat black, made of suede. <laughs> All right, we know. We know. You gossip mongers have been wondering this whole time just what tawdry secrets were contained in that letter that got Mark Hurd ousted from HP. A judge in the Delaware Chancery Court hearing a shareholder lawsuit ruled that Hurd hadn't made a strong enough case for why the letter should be kept secret at all. The letter came from Jody Fisher's lawyers and supposedly contained allegations of sexual harassment, but sadly... For you smut worshippers, some parts of the letter will be redacted at the judge's order. So, maybe juicy, but we won't know. But the juice Just how out. juicy. It's been dried. <laughs> AT&T's new data caps rolled out today in the form of a new terms of service. And if you're angry about the 150 gig DSL or 250 gig U-verse caps, yeah, better bring that in just a bit. The new terms of service actually allow AT&T to cut off subscribers who repeatedly harass or abuse employees. How's that defined? Well, among other ways, repeatedly contacting our customer service representatives for reasons that do not you know, that pertain to uh, provisioning and maintenance and repair or general service, or I'm sorry, do not uh, pertain to those things. So in other words, shut your yap, stop complaining about the caps, don't call customer service unless it's a legit request. Netflix has won the exclusive rights to stream 26 episodes of the original series House of Cards, starring Kevin Spacey and produced by Kevin Fincher. The company announced that it got the show on Friday. That's today. Netflix says that House of Cards should be coming to Netflix customers in the U.S. and Canada in late 2012. They should call their company 2K. <laughs> I know, I'm very funny. Wow. More evidence that mobile me will soon be mobile free, which is really annoying because I just re-upped for another year for 69 bucks. iLounge reports that Apple is set to announce a new free version of MobileMe next month. Their source, who works for a major educational institution, claims that the current version of MobileMe is no longer available and that Apple is now suggesting that new students sign up for the 60-day trial to cover the gap between the final MobileMe shipment and the launch of the new version, whatever that may be. A round of applause to SoftLayer Technologies. Woo! The host of PSX Taxine, they moved Thursday to squash a subpoena connected to uh, Sony's lawsuit against GeoHot or G uh, George Hotz, the man who's uh, released the full-fledged PlayStation 3 hack. In pursuit of justifying the case should actually happen in California, Sony wants server logs, they want IP address records, they want really anything pertaining to GeoHot's postings to determine whether or not Hotz had actually logged in from San Francisco uh, while trumpeting or posting his hack. Porn's not cool. You what? know what's cool? 
Oh, I know. What? Ooh. A billion porns? No, no. That oh. doesn't even make sense. Uh, no, it doesn't. You know what's cool? What? Facebook and other social networks. That's what's cooler than porn, at least in the UK. Experian Hitwise says that in January, social networks like Facebook accounted for 12.46% of all online traffic, while entertainment websites, including pornographic ones, accounted for only 12.18% of traffic. Facebook accounted for over half the social network visits. Wow. The Association of American Publishers released some good news and some bad news yesterday. Which one do you want first? The bad news? Ah, right. uh, bad news. All yeah. right. Overall sales of books dropped 1.9% for the U.S. in January. I like books. Compared to last January. But, but, but. Okay. The good news. What's the good sales news? Sales of e-books were up almost 116% for the same period. So that means we're getting smarter. Yeah. Huh? huh? We are, how? People are reading more e-books. Ooh. Uh, okay. That makes us smarter. All right, time for our it. instant corrections <laughs> section. Uh, first of all, uh, the uh, iPhone 5 picture that we're showing with the metal back is a case that is meant to look like what the iPhone 5 will look like. Oh, I wanted to clarify that. Okay. It wasn't the actual picture of the iPhone you 5 know, it did from Foxconn. It did seem kind Foxconn. of like it could break apart. So Second of all, sense. it's David Fincher. Not Kevin Fincher. Not Kevin Fincher. You know, it's, I, and David Spacey, they should, not Kevin. They no, wait, should call no, their new Kevin company Spacey. DK. They should. No, no, I got to trademark on that, the DK <laughs> thing. And the Blizzard authenticators are from DigiPass. Thank you, Eli. NASA's Messenger uh, begins its orbit around Mercury and will start beaming back all of its data now. Uh, Messenger space probe, known as the Mercury Surface Space Environment Geochemistry and Ranging Probe, is concluding a six-year journey through what the Engadget calls the dark void of space. Uh, but it will now, it's fully checked. Uh, uh, it'll get turned on and fully checked next week. And then the data gathering phase kicks off in earnest on April 4th. Neato. And we'll start finding out all Yay. about Mercury. Mercury has a friend. I bet it's about hot. Time. I bet it's really hot on Mercury. So hot. So hot. Mercury's so hot. You know, it's cool. Calendar. Not Mercury. Calendar. Okay. <laughs> I've got really good news. You know how we were talking about a million porns earlier? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. ICANN has officially approved new .xxx top-level domains. Who's got SarahLane.xxx? Not me. Uh-oh. Time to start domain squatting. Time Woo! to start registering LeoLaporte.xxx. Hack 5.xxx. To prevent anyone from ever putting lust. anything on there. Subbrilliant.xxx. Tomair.xxx. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I look forward to the fun parody sites that yeah, will, oh, yeah. will inevitably come out of this. For sure. AT&T has slashed its 64 gigabyte first gen iPad 3D price by $300. That is quite a drop. So if you're interested, uh, the price is looking a lot better than yeah, it was no a couple That's months huge. ago. Sprint has announced the OverDrive Pro 3G, 4G mobile hotspot router. This will be available March 20th. That's next week. HTC Arrive launches Sunday, March 20th. This is the first Windows phone on Sprint. If they're all starting to sound the same to you, this is why it's different and cool. Yeah. Uh, the T-Mobile G Slate and G2X dual-core smartphone is coming on April 20th, maybe. That's the rumor. That's, that's the, the rumor that we saw in Engadget, anyway. Uh, what's What else is going on? Uh, NVIDIA is going to release its GeForce GTX 590 graphics chip on March 22nd to take on AMD's recently released AMD Radeon HD 6990. Let the battle continue. Yeah. San Mateo County DA Stephen Wagstaff told CNET that investigators in the lost iPhone 4 prototype case, which is still ongoing, are expected to report their findings as early as next month. The case is officially a felony theft investigation meant to determine if any actual crimes were committed, and if so, who should be held accountable. 
Uh, the Motorola HX is coming to T-Mobile UK in June. And you may have heard, we've got a new show on the Twit roster. What? Yeah, if you've been watching the last, oh, I don't know, I think the last few Fridays, Leo and Lisa Betney of Mostly Lisa, um, or I guess that's her moniker, her online moniker, Mostly Lisa, have a new photography show called Mostly Photo. Um, it's been in uh, beta. They've, they've taped a few shows, two or three now. Um, and it's it's a done deal, so I I believe it's going to be on. When's RC One? Stays going. RC One, I think, is this Tuesday. I, th I don't think it's a full yes. episode yet. Right. Uh, but they're doing some some prep work for it that maybe if you live in the Bay Area or if you're going to be in the Bay Area, you could be involved with. Yeah, it's really cool. So if you've you've never heard of a photo walk, what's it's it's basically like a meetup where a bunch of people bring any kind of camera they have. You could have a you know 5D Mark II, the top of the line. You could just have your you know, smartphone camera doesn't matter as long as you want to meet up with some like-minded folks, take a walk, take some pictures and talk about the pictures that you take and, and, and get tips from each other. It's a lot of fun if you've never participated in photo walk and mostly photo is going to host a photo walk next weekend. So it's a week from next uh, week from tomorrow. So yep. it's Saturday, March 25th, first photo walk in San Francisco. So you're going to have to be in the Bay area if you want to be there in person. Um, and it's brought to you by the 100% reinvented 2011 Ford Explorer. If you want to know where it is, it's going yes. to be downtown at the Ferry Building and Marketplace. Starts at 2 p.m. Pacific time. So we invite you and your family and your friends and maybe even your dog. If your dog has a good eye. Yeah. Um, some dogs do. For, my dog does. For photography. Yeah. I, well, I one know, of my dogs does. Well, Django's, the other one can't take I don't pictures. know. I've no. seen Django stuff and it's all, post, it's all hipstamatic. Mm. It's very mod. Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, Lisa Bettany herself is going to be uh, the photo walk organizer host, I guess you would call it. Um, she'll be there to meet and greet, and uh, she's really talented. If you're not familiar with her work, I mean, talk about learning a little something or two about photography. Lisa is the gal. So um, it's supposed to rain that day, but we're going to do it whether or not it's raining or shining. Rain or shine. We don't care. Come bring, on out. Bring your umbrella. March 26th. You Where can, do you, you can RSVP too, right? Yeah, if you want to RSVP and learn just more about the uh, 2011 Ford Explorer, who's the sponsor, it's at mostlyphotoadventures.com. So mostlyphotoadventures.com. Again, that's Saturday, March 26th. If you want to participate, RSVP so we have an idea of how many people are coming and how to contain the crowd. And um, it'll be really fun. On to the emails, TNT at twit.tv. JD, who called us yesterday waxing eloquently about how he was able to get 32 channels of Time Warner cable video, even though he wasn't a cable subscriber, he was a cable internet subscriber, wrote back and said, sorry for the misinformation, gang. I actually could watch the Time Warner cable channels for about half a day. Then I started getting this message. The programming you have requested is only available to Time Warner Cable video subscribers who subscribe to this programming as part of their video subscription. JD says, I guess they figured out that I wasn't paying for video or they just wanted to entice me. It almost worked. Aww. Oh, bummer. I wanted Keep it to be good true. Fight, JD. Uh, also got an email from Eric Jones who says, Hey everybody, no doubt you're hearing about military evacuations from Japan. Just wanted to set a few things straight. So far in this area of Honshu, that's the main island, it's all voluntary known as phase one. Phase two is normally a directed or ordered evacuation. The first two phases are for dependents and spouses and kids. And then phase two is for non-essential military and civilians. Phase three... That's everyone else. So phase one means you pay back the government. Phase two and three means the government pays you, which is not really true. It is funded by the government, so you don't have to fork out all the money for hotel and transportation and so forth. For now, we're doing okay. We hope uh, the power line that they just strung up on the plant will work the pumps. 
I heard a news bulletin that the Navy was flying two large pumps up there, but I can't confirm it. It came from other sources. In any case, I'm preparing my wife and daughter to be on phase two when they announce it. I'm a phase three kind of guy, so I'll be around. Thanks for the information, Eric. Yeah, thanks for your service, Eric, and, and thanks for the information. Hope you stay safe. Hope your family stays safe Absolutely. as well. But he does say, no panic in the streets, Right. so Ridley Scott has no material. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he makes it up, which is how they do it. All right. Uh, well, Darren, always good to have you on the show, especially on a Liquid Friday. Yeah, it's always good to be here on a Friday. And that means that I actually know what happened this week on the show. So uh, head over to hack5.org, H-A-K, the number five, and uh, find out about writing software without lines of code, crafting packets with H-Ping, or even a case mod involving cold cathodes in a photo frame. Ooh. Yeah. Thanks to uh, Ray Butcher from Atlanta, buyer for Costco, who, who provided the uh, the liquids you for know, today's show. You know, I did not know that Costco made beer, but it's darn good. Yeah, it's it pretty good. Mm -hmm. I'm I like liking it. it. I like it. Also, a round of applause for Alex Gumpel. Alex Gumpel! On his uh, his board operating. Round. Well done. I don't think he was that bored. He looked pretty excited, to be honest. Uh, yeah, he's he excited, excited operating, yeah. frankly, yeah. if you want to put it that way. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Twit.tv slash TNT is the place you can find us on the internet. You can email us, TNT at twit.tv, and you can give us a call, 260-TNT-SHOW. It's Friday. It's Friday. So we'll see you Monday, which is the day after Sunday. Comes what out was Saturday. yesterday? Yesterday, yesterday was, was Thursday. Thursday. Oh.